This episode of Harmonious Gentlemen is brought to you by Blind Man Brewing, makers of craft beer in central Alberta. Say hi to Hans. He told us to watch a show called Veep a few years ago, and we didn't really give it a fair shot, but now we're watching it and we love it. So thanks, Hans. Well, if podcast episodes were the designation given to Lockheed's high-altitude Mach 3 reconnaissance jet built for the U.S. Air Force and nicknamed the Blackbird, you'd know this has to be episode SR-71 of The Harmonious Gentleman. I'm Chris. I'm Graham. I'm Tyler. And uh, Chris, did Top Gun make you think of that? No. No? But Top Gun was awesome. Yeah. So you should go. And uh, no, it was my favorite jet as a kid. I had a poster of it on my wall. I think the uh, Air Force only built like 30 of them, but they flew high, they flew fast, and they took pictures of the bad guys in the Cold War. How many posters of jets did you have in your room? One. Just that one? Yeah. I had a Porsche Mm -hmm. poster, a Bo Jackson poster, and an SR-71 Blackbird poster. And how many of those posters did you buy at the books the book fair at school? <laughs> uh, zero, but that is that's a good Scholastic that's a good question. Scholastic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if they had book fairs even when I was little, but okay. maybe they did. I don't remember. So, so I love Fair you guys, question. and we talked about love last time. <laughs> yeah, I should have said that first. And no, a good order. You guys, I've been told by some people this week that they love me who've never said that before wow. in my life. Your wife? Yeah, <laughs> she's one. She never said that before. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's been really really wonderful. Have you guys experienced that too? Has anyone said they love you? Outside of my regular circle, no. <laughs> oh shoot. Okay. Yeah. No. Oh. Not even within my regular circle. <laughs> okay. Well, now I feel like I'm just <laughs> bragging. <but laughs> yeah. Kind of, but it's nice. It's yeah. a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, we're at Blind Man today. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, it's been a while. So thanks to Hands for having us. And if you hear background noise, that's that's why. Yeah. yeah. So. And we're, we're joined by a special guest, Anita. Yeah. You may have heard her on, on already, but, right? On where? Well, just, just now. Yeah. 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 Like your voice Anita Maltese and Slump is with us. Yeah, sometimes guests will sort of sit and wait, you know, till we ask them to say something, but it's cool. You don't have to. Just go no. for it. No, you're yeah. in there. Jump right well, in there. Well, you're very inviting. Oh, good. Yeah. We hope so. Um, you'll join us for some recommendations, I'm assuming. Well, I hope so. Yeah. I've heard your recommendations, and I'm not sure that I met your caliber. Ooh. But we have but a caliber. That's cool. <laughs> I, I might have something to add. Okay. Good. Yeah. I think you can at least reach Chris level. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's... That's good. This segment is brought to you by Cilantro and Chive, fresh, simple eats in central Alberta. Their love for building others up is as delicious as their burger of the month. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. I'm going to recommend a show on HBO or Crave. It's called Barry. Tyler, we've talked about it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Season three is out now. It's great. It's got the dark humor, regular humor, uh, action. It's amazing. Watch Barry if you want something unique and powerful and poignant and 30-minute episodes, which, mm. you know. Yeah. All it's that packed to into a 30-minute episode. Sweet. Bill Hader is the writer, producer, main actor in it, and it's just a wonderful show. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's really good. I'm going to recommend a Blackberry Sour. Uh, it's a beer I'm drinking here at Blind Man. 
And just in general, Blind Man's sour beers. Yeah. They're, they always have new ones, sometimes with fruit, sometimes not. It's a good way to mix it up every once in a while. Mm-hmm. But this one specifically, quite good. It's a good call. It looks delicious. Yeah. Get yeah. that color. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to recommend a person. Her name is Fawn. And she is a massage therapist at Massage Addicts in Red Deer. And if you need a very deep tissue massage. How deep? Fawn's your girl. <laughs> I don't know, like, physically how deep. Percentage-wise. 17%. Okay. <laughs> it's very deep. And you got the full body? She's very strong. I, that's what she called it. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I just said, how about, like, my legs, my back, my neck? She said, that's called a full body. Yeah. And how much elbow use was there? A lot. Yeah, yeah. a lot. Okay. So some tensions relieved and go see Fawn if you uh, need a massage. Is it weird that I've never had a massage? Yep. Yeah, I talked bit. to her about you. Did you? Yeah. What'd she say? I said, you know, it's interesting when <laughs> <laughs> about specifically that you've never had a massage because yeah. I knew that about you. Yeah. She's like, yeah, when some people just don't think it'll work for them. I don't think it's that for me. I just don't really ever think about doing it. I know I, I would probably enjoy it, but I booked you one. So Thank next you. Saturday. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Fawn, we'll see you soon. Fawn, yeah. we'll see you soon. Yeah. Well, I would recommend, um, actually, do you know there's a beer fest in Edmonton today? Oh, today. So you're probably too late to get there, but I would recommend a restaurant in Edmonton called Otto. Ooh. You've heard of it. I've been there, yeah. Yeah. What's it called, sorry? Otto. Otto. And they make their sausages on site, Ooh. which is really cool and really interesting blends of spices and meat and um, a really cool atmosphere too. Hmm. And they have blind man beer. Whoa. Yeah. Win-win. Win-win. Energy. What yeah. part of the city? It's And that's the cool part. It's in a bit of a shady spot. Um, and I don't know what that area is, but it's sort of um, central Edmonton. And um, they have, a in the summer, beautiful garden you can sit in hmm. if you want to be outdoors. But it's altogether a really cool experience. The owner is Ed, and he is just a brilliant restaurant tour um yeah so if you're in edmonton and you can make it to central edmonton auto nice yep that's a great recommendation yeah auto yeah well that's good you guys way to recommend things Mm -hmm. so tyler maybe just let our listeners know why why did we invite anita on the podcast Hmm. well we have some uh conflict Mm. brewing between us yeah right i don't know if listeners if you've sensed that over the last 70 episodes or so yeah and we just need help <laughs> like figuring it out how to yeah. how to continue to be just stay together yeah be harmonious really. yeah stay huh. together for the podcast mm-hmm. really? so anita hopefully can help us with that hmm. let's see I hear what you're saying there, Tyler, but Anita, what qualifies you to be a mediator? Hmm. Well, beyond some training, I grew up in a family of 15 kids. I'm 14 of 15. Same mom, same dad. Apparently that's important to point out. And, and we had one toilet in our house. (laughs) That's where it all began. (laughs) That's where it all began. But it really was a great opportunity to, to see how, um, 
people of all different types of personalities can coexist in a space with tension, mm. with scarcity, mm-hmm. and, and then to really um, figure out how to be together, right? And not because everything was always peaceful and wonderful, but because we were required to be in community together, right? Forced community as family. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and then you sort these things out. And that was my best teacher, actually, was my family members. And, mm-hmm. and still to this day, my best teachers are my kids. Wow. Yeah. Was that, your, was that your sort of role when you were a kid as the mediator? And out of those 50, like, did you um, naturally just take on that role? Well, or- I, I think maybe more accurate was that I was never one to back down. So when there was stuff going on, I, I would step in. Or I would engage. I was not reluctant to voice my opinions. And and then I probably learned in that that I wasn't effective always doing that. And so then had to learn how to be better at that. And, and actually, I probably didn't even know anything about the field of mediation until I was, I would even say... 15 years ago, I didn't know anything about the field. But but we're all sort of mediators, right? We're small M mediators because we all have conflict in our lives and we all have to navigate it one way or another. And, and there's probably people in your lives right, where you're mm-hmm. navigating that space between. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Does your family still go to you when they're having a dispute? Yeah, they'll, they'll often ask for advice. They'll often ask for ideas of how to deal with things but I think that family is interesting because they probably still very much see me as that smart mouth little whatever (laughs) right and and so there's some of that certainly like what would Anita think about this situation and how should we move forward through it but then there's probably some of that well there's probably someone more informed that we could ask too right yeah yeah and uh so you grew up like learning about it from all those siblings, which is crazy, by the way. Yeah. 15. Um, but I, I read that you, you've done some, some work for the Canadian Armed Forces. Yeah. Is that true? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Something that a lot of people don't know about the Department of National Defense is that they um, made a priority of building within their system um, resources and conflict management opportunities for members and civilians that work within the, the forces. Mm-hmm. And, and that is to capture um, issues as early on as possible. Because once matters escalate in the workplace, it can get really difficult to untangle things. And a lot of people will start down that road of grievances or harassments. And, and, and the armed forces figured out, well, this is a, not only really important for our personnel... Um, there's good reason why we need our members working well together and, and in good relationship. But there's also a financial reason. And, and a lot of people wouldn't know that the average grievance or harassment costs, costs an organization around $60,000. So th- if you were to file a harassment against yeah. Chris... And that was to go through a full investigation. Yeah. Whatever organization you're working for is probably on the hook for $60,000. Mm. That's what it cost last time, didn't it, Chris? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then at the end of that, yeah. your relationship is worse off, 
right? Because someone has been found or unfounded. And, and then you still have to work together. And you've gone through that whole investigative process. And it just, it destroys the relationship, but it also destroys the whole unit. So your work, is it preventative? Like it's coming in before it reaches that point? Or you're trying to mediate once a, a claim has been filed? Yeah, ideally it would be early on. Often it's it's down the road and it's it. the longer conflict goes on, the more difficult it is to unravel because we just get ourselves more entrenched, more stuck, more certain that we're yeah. right, they're wrong. And so um, it, that can be really challenging. But because the dispute resolution piece is now so embedded in the armed forces, they do capture it earlier than most workplaces Mm. because it's become a part of the culture. So as soon as there's two members maybe that have stopped being able to work together, they're already thinking immediately, we can can take care of this. We've got the resources, we've got the the people in place to do this. So it's it's in that way really, really valuable program. How, qu- how quickly do you assess how far along the conflict is? Like, do you get a sense immediately as to yeah. as to the extent, right? Well, so the first step is often that it's called pre-mediation or sometimes called case development. And so I'm sitting one-on-one and, and I'm saying to the person, so what happened? And they start to tell me what happened. And, and maybe they'll first talk about the more instant or the most immediate situation, but then they'll start talking about, and then six months ago it was this, and then a year ago. And I've had situations, not so much with armed forces because people get posted out, but in other organizations where it's been going on for six years or it's been going on for more than that. Mm-hmm. And that gets really challenging. So organizationally, are there models of mediation they have that they're asking you to facilitate? Or mm-hmm. are they saying, please come in and bring whatever tools you have to lead us through a process that we don't really know about? Yeah, both end. A lot of times, if it's coming from chain of command, if we're to use Canadian Armed Forces, they might already have something in mind. Mm-hmm. They might be thinking, yeah, these two people just need to have a sit down, have a conversation. They need a mediator in the room. They're going to come to some agreements and we're going to move forward. I might have that Im- initial meeting with someone, that pre-mediation meeting, and hear a whole different scenario and realize, actually, they're not ready to go to mediation or mediation isn't the best way to manage this. And so it, it can be that um, I have to then come back to chain of command or whether that's the HR or whomever brought me in and say, I know you had mediation in mind, but the better approach, I think, would be to do some coaching or yeah. to do some training. And then, and almost always, I get buy-in. That willingness to say, no, whatever it takes for you to get them on track, productive, let's do it. Do you work with any other groups, like, Mm -hmm. uh, in particular? Yeah, and and I can share Canadian Armed Forces because that, I I don't have to worry about confidentiality, but the rest I would, but I do work with government at all levels. So at the provincial level, I've worked Mm. at the municipal level, and I've worked for private organizations as well. And um, so that's as an independent practitioner. I have a contract with the Department of National Defense, and I have a contract with a few other employee assistant programs that bring me in when there's conflict mm. in, in different organizations. But mediation is a confidential process, and it's really important for mediators to maintain that confidentiality. So I can talk about situations in terms of a sort of broad perspective. Yeah. I can talk about... 
And I even have in my agreement, you know, I may use this situation as an educational opportunity, yeah. but I would never reveal sure. the identity of anyone or, or even hint at it because, um, uh, yeah, that's an important piece of my work. So sometimes on the news you'll hear like a mediator was brought yeah. in for the ATA or for yeah. y- you know, union disputes or trying to reach an agreement financially. When we hear that term, is it all as mediator one thing? Like, are you part of a such a good question body? And yeah, so mediation is an unregulated body. Okay. That's important to know. Yeah. And when you're hearing that, what you're hearing is um, probably positional bargaining, which yeah. is very different than the kind of work sure. that I do. So those mediators are actually informing the decision to some degree or another. And so even just last week, you might have seen in the headlines that a mediator was brought in for the ATA, right? Recommended a two-year, whatever that was. I never recommend anything to my clients. I I do not insert myself in their agreements ever. Um, So the ethical principle that I adhere to there is self-determination. You're the expert in your life. Who better to be making decisions related to your matter, right? But unlike a counselor or a psychiatrist, there's not a body saying you have to adhere to these ethical practices. That's Mm. self-imposed kind of? Well, so I guess that's where it gets a little bit loose. So um, there are professional designations for mediators, and I hold a professional designation for mediators for Canada-wide. And, and then I do adhere to a code of conduct yeah. and to ethics. Yeah. Um, and, and that way, if there was a complaint lodged against me, there would be um, a process or there would be a cl- mm. complaint process available to a client of mine. But ultimately, there is no one body that's overseeing mediation in Canada. So, Anita, if you were to help the harmonious gentleman in our own uh, relationships and me- mediationships, yeah, um, <laughs> where where should we start? Where I would start, if I were to work with the three of you, is to start with conflict styles tool, and okay. it there's an inventory that helps you to discover which of the five styles within conflict you tend to use the most. And that self-awareness is really, really important. And so the five styles that humans will go to, and this is actually global, this is not just North American, will be avoidance, harmonizing, also known as accommodating, compromising, collaborating, or directing, which is also known as competing. Okay. Mm. And the reason why it's so valuable to start there is that self-awareness is key before you even want to think about how do I engage with others in conflict, you need to know what your tendencies are. So do you know what your tendencies are? I, well, I think I want to be known as a collaborator, but I, and I think I do that, but that might not be my tendency. Yeah, that's actually a really, that's good awareness because, and I've not validated this, but I've learned and heard that within humans, the likelihood of you being a natural collaborator is like, there's maybe you know, 2% of the population Sweet, that are born there. collaborators. Yeah. You're, <laughs> no, you're unusual, yeah. but most yes. of us learn to become collaborators yeah, in okay. our professional lives because it works for you sort of. Well, and we need to be. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Tyler? Uh, I think the harmonizer 
or yeah. is that what it is? Harmonizing? Harmonizing. So, yeah. so the, one of the tests for a harmonizing is if the three of you were to decide where you're going to go for dinner, you yeah. all have strong opinions about where you want to go. Yeah. And then Graham and Chris were to say, hey, we really want to go for Thai. You don't want to go for Thai, but they say, let's go for Thai. What are you going to yeah. say? Well, if, if there was two of them and they, I trust their recommendations. So even if it was against my, my desires, I think I would do it. Yeah. yeah. And it would maintain the relationship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is the one clear identifier of someone who's of the harmonizing style is they prioritize the relationship even over their own agenda. So if the decision is going to maintain or strengthen the relationship, then that's the direction I'm going to go. Okay. Do people tend to switch between the styles depending on who it is they're with? Like absolutely. If with family, I'm a harmonizer. With work, I'm a co-op. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, you want to be able to do that. You want to be able to use all five styles mm. in, they, they call it being it, yeah. integrated, right? So that you make a choice. What style do you think you are, Graham? Well, definitely accommodator. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking, is that the most common if you were to give this scenario to, to people, yeah. is that the most common thing they would say? Like the restaurant example is a great example, but I, yeah. I'm thinking for me, I would do the, the same thing. Even if I hated Thai, yeah. I don't hate Thai. <laughs> T-H-I-A-I. That's right. Yeah. But I'm thinking about the direct, like some people, when you say, Hey, where we, should we go for dinner? One person always has an opinion and yeah. I kind of don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So they might be directors or. Hmm. Yeah. It depends on know. how hard they push. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and right. so, um, so your question about, is, is accommodating or harmonizing the most common style? Worldwide, the most common style is avoiding. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, and then I would say it probably shifts into the harmonizing and the accommodating mm. because we are and we're becoming more relational focused than our ancestors okay. mm. were. Mm-hmm. And, and the directing and competing style is a really interesting one because depending on your gender it's more acceptable or less acceptable. So if, if we were to do a true confession here, I actually, when the shit hits the fan, I go to competing. I go to directing, which is kind of embarrassing for a mediator to say. I'd like to be able to say all of the time I'm collaborating, but I'm not. When things get hot, I'm going to tell you this is how it's going to get done. And, and so much so that I won't even listen to what your concerns or needs are because it's just going to get done. Do you see like certain types of people like CEOs or directors? Yeah. You kind of, you can play that out sort of through the population. I think so. And I think that organizations are getting better at paying attention Mm -hmm. to that. So there was a time when we were always putting those directors in the position of the CEO role because they were quick decision makers. They they got results, right? And we were so results driven and that's what you can count on. Now I think organizations are realizing, whoa, there's a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. We're like losing folks um, and having to replace them mm-hmm. often and what's going on there. And that's where we're mm. shifting into, no, we need people skills, actually. Cool. Yeah. I feel like when I'm in, in front of the classroom in teacher mode, I definitely am not an accommodator anymore. Like that's when, right. I, that's when I shift yeah. into this is the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of have to, I guess. And you do, yeah. 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 I, I thought when you said... Um, that you can become a, a director in certain situations. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I resonated with the idea of like, let's just get stuff done. Yeah. 
but my method of doing that is just let's just do what you want to do yeah yeah like or like i'll i'll be chris you said there's people who just like throw out an answer they have an answer right away like i can be that guy too but i don't really care or like i kind of like where do you want to go for for supper i'll say uh bows but then if no one likes it i'm like okay not bows yeah like what do you yeah yeah then you pick so then it's the reason why you're giving up what you're giving up so if you're giving it up because you want to maintain the relationship then it's very much about harmonizing if you're just giving it up because you don't care it's because you don't care right yeah it's probably not about conflict it's just about personality yeah if you're mediating uh, two people and they both have very different styles Ooh. and they're, what, what's the two worst that can clash that you have yeah. the biggest trouble with? Well, it's really challenging when you have someone who's very much of the harmonizing style. That's all about the relationship. And when you have someone who's all about results, because they're almost yeah. speaking two different languages, right? Mm. And they actually drive each other crazy because if, if what I need to hear from you is, no, no, everything is good and you're going to be looked after and, and we're going to make sure that all the personnel are taken care of. If that's what you're waiting to hear from that person who's just about, no, we have got a to-do list that is 10 items long and we're going to get it done. They, that just, it, it's like, you know, a tension that's really hard for them to work through. But the beautiful thing is, is if you can coach them and then you have those two personalities in a workplace, you actually have a superpower. Because if you can coach them to work together, what can happen is if you've got the harmonizer, say, in a leadership position and you've got someone who's more of the directing style, they can say, hey, good job paying attention to how everybody's doing and we've got work to do. And how are we going to get ourselves on track? Because we're getting behind. Or you can have the directing person saying, so glad you're the glue of the group. You're keeping everyone together, but we've got work to do. And how are we going to get to that task? And if you can get that working together, it is like, Awesome. Hmm. Yeah. So do you want to give us a little, kind of a quick little training session? Or Mm. I know we already received one, it feels like. But like if if we want to move forward using our kind of uh, our styles here. Yeah. Like how can we prevent a disaster disaster. between the three of us? Well, the three of you are all fairly relationally focused. So one of the things that might be a conflict or a challenge is who's going to get the stuff done? Like who's going to do the job? Because if, if you're all sort of attending to the relationship, things are probably getting forgotten or often are in workplaces. So then I would, I would just want to hear from you. How's that impacting the relationship? And then what do you need from each other in order to be able to work through those difficult conversations? So for example, if you have a situation where Graham is having to take all the responsibility for the equipment He's always the one that's setting everything up, making sure everyone sounds good, and resentment starting to build. (laughs) He's a human being. (laughs) But if resentment starts to build, because that's what happens with harmonizing, right? They give, they give, they give, they give, and because we're not Jesus Christ, eventually at some point, resentment builds, frustration builds, and we get to a breaking point, and we'll often snap in a way that's not productive, not constructive. So if that were to happen between the three of you and Graham's resentments build because here he is carrying all the heavy, doing all the heavy lifting. Exactly. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Then it would be to talk about how do, you, how do you start distributing the work in a more fair manner? 
And that would be the, one of the first things to do is to name the problem. And the problem is not you, Tyler. It's not you, Chris, or it's not Graham. The problem is the distribution of the work, right? And so as humans, one of our natural tendencies when we find ourselves in conflict is to want to first name who's the villain, right? Who's the problem? And so if, if Graham's feeling like, oh, here I go doing all the work again, that effing whatever, yeah. you know, he's never picking up his load, they become the villain. Yeah. Graham's feeling the victim. And then he might look for a hero. And that hero can create that gossip cycle, right? Now he's going to find someone like, yeah, can you believe Chris does what he does? And can you believe that Tyler never picks up? And He might even like have the ear of a different podcast to say those things. To yeah. <laughs> and, and then, so then the, the job of the mediator is really to get them off of that, what's called the drama triangle, and to say, let's, let's name the problem. So the problem is the distribution of work. And how do we address that problem? And so that would be one of the first things you would do is just really have a good conversation about that. Yeah. I mean, I'm good for now. We don't <laughs> okay, have to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Cause I haven't done pre-mediation with any of you. Yeah. <laughs> How, so you, you do work before that to know that the people are ready to voice their problems, to be honest about their problems, be honest about their problems, to be able to show up in a way that is not going to worsen the relationship. Yeah. Right. Cause we have a responsibility to do no harm. So if I bring you together before you're ready and all of a sudden you're attacking and blaming each other. Or avoiding and not saying anything. Or saying nothing, walking away with more frustration, then that's problematic too. Yeah. You work with uh, workplaces before kind of like preventative conflict resolution? Yeah. Sometimes workplaces will say, you know what? Um, Actually, I have an organization that's just asked me to come in and do some professional development work with their team. Who, where they're saying, you know what, this is, there's nothing really going on. We can't name a problem, yeah. but we know this is really important. Right. And so I'm going to go in and spend six hours with mm-hmm. them, actually, and we'll do conflict styles inventory, and we'll do listening skills. And, you know, you teachers all have listening skills, but it's how to listen within conflict. Because you know what happens, right? If we're feeling defensive, we stop being able to hear well, listen well be curious and ask good questions so they'll get listening skills and then they'll also um i'm trying to think of the agenda that we have going on but we'll also work into um a model of how to have conversations when problems arise So, Anita, during our our break, we had talked a little bit about values or character traits that mediators or uh, conflict management practitioners need. Mm-hmm. What what do you think, or what do you think are the most important ones? I think, and this is totally personal, but it's humility and curiosity. Mm. The humility is, and and this is not only for mediators, but this is for anyone in conflict is to be humble enough to know that you don't have the whole story. You don't have the entire perspective. You don't have the entire experience. And that there is something more that you need to learn in order to really work through whatever situation you find yourself in. Mediators need humility to say, 
it's really a privilege to get to do the work that we do. This is a privilege, right? That the three of you want to sit with me and hear about something I'm passionate about. That's a privilege. And that humility is really important because if folks come into rooms with an arrogance of, hey, I'm the expert and you have something to learn from me or I know everything there is to know about this situation and and there's nothing more I can learn. What is the likelihood of growth? What's that likelihood of a shift in how we manage ourselves? So I think humility is key. And then it's the curiosity to be able to shift into that place of it. The shift is out of defensiveness into curiosity. So I no longer have to defend my my position. I no longer need to defend the fact that I'm right, but I can shift into that space of going, Hmm. I wonder what Chris knows about this situation that I don't know. I wonder what I could learn from Chris. Or I wonder why Chris holds so tightly to whatever it is he believes or the way he sees the world or moves through the world. And to have that curious mindset is so key. And in fact, when I've been watching folks through the pandemic, you know that term um, compassion fatigue has been mm-hmm. thrown around a lot. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's real. There, folks are tired of trying to be compassionate. But what we can still do is be curious. I might not be able to feel with you or for you, but what I can do is get curious and think, hmm, I wonder what, what happened to have that person arrive at the conclusions they've arrived at and, and to really go into that space. And it makes all the difference in the world. Those, um, when you first started this, this line of work or profession, mm-hmm. like did humility, did you learn that along the way? Like, did you start off maybe a bit more of a, yeah. I'm an authority type on this and you're to learn that? Yeah. Did you say? Yeah. 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 I think that's a really interesting question actually, because it's true. I haven't thought about it, but I think when I first came into this line of work, I thought I had something to prove, right? And I was going to be that person, that expert in the room. But now I think um, it's, it's so much more important for me to come in with that humility, that that willingness to say, yeah, I actually do have knowledge, I have experience, and we're all humans here. And and there's stuff that I can learn from you and you can learn from me. And if we sit together in this space long enough, we can find a way forward. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you talked about forced relationships right at the beginning where a family is like a place where you don't really have a choice. That's who you're with. But yeah. I mean, some members of your family, maybe you do. Um mm-hmm. Is there places if you're entering conversations and you're not being invited in as a mediator, but instead you're trying to use the skills in um, communities, is there places where that doesn't work or that breaks down or it's not worth the effort or in your opinion? Yeah, you know, there needs to be some sort of willingness, right? So if, if I'm in a space where I am just so entrenched and I am so determined to be right, and I am so determined to prove to you just how right I am, it's really hard to engage in a conversation of understanding. And that's a really important distinction that I make is whenever I'm talking to someone, it's not that you have to agree with me and I don't have to agree with you, but we can come to some sort of a shared understanding and that is enough for us to be able to move forward. Mm-hmm. But if I'm in that space of there, I, there is all kinds of barriers that's going to keep me from being able to listen to you or even show interest that you might have a part of the story then those are really difficult situations mm. to put put ourselves in when we want to bring harmony or build harmony. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about that. I, I'm sure a similar question earlier, but like with your family, how often does a family call them like a mediator to, right. to mm. help them out? But 
Maybe they should. Yeah. You might be surprised, you know? actually. Yeah. When there was a program in Edmonton run through Catholic Social Services, and it was a parent teen mediation program. Hmm. And I was really? a part of that program. And in fact, there's still some of the hardest mediations. They're the mediations that stick with me because of the significance of those matters. Yeah. And it was parents identifying that the relationship had broken down to such a degree with their teens that they needed support. And an incredibly effective program. Um, yeah, powerful, hmm. powerful stuff. So um, when we talk about family mediation, it mostly is referred to in the separation and divorce yeah. realm. Yeah, right. Um, but there certainly families use mediators. You can think about it um, when there's, um, you know, at the end of life where there's maybe inheritances that have to be sorted out when there's conflict there. Um, or if there's, um, you know, fa- passing on of the family business, there's situations where mediators are really, really valued. And then there are those times where communication is just broken down in a family and they need each other. And so can they, can they sit down together? And sometimes with a facilitator, it makes all the difference. And in some ways, that's almost like um, there's more pressure almost for that to, to work out. Yeah. Where at a workplace, I mean, you're not stuck with someone forever. That's not ideal, but yeah. Well, I wondered if people like, do they feel like it's only worth calling a mediator in when money's on the line? Like Mm -hmm. our relationships aren't important enough to, to go. I don't know. It's sort of, is there that kind of mindset out there? I think that when people realize that there's an ongoing relationship, they will invest the energy into it. But if there is no ongoing relationship, so if the option, you know, my, my best alternative option to the negotiated agreement yeah. is I can move on and right. find there's five other jobs out there for me. Yeah. Why would I put the effort that's right. in? Yeah. And, and that's where in the Canadian Armed Forces to come back to them can be problematic is if I'm going to get posted out in six months, why, why work it out right. with bloggins? Right. And yet what I hear more than ever there is I need to know that that person has my back. Well, sure. Right? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But I think in families, what happens is when there's some sort of a, a dependency. So say there's a, a business, a family business that we're working around, or there's some decisions that have to be made. So maybe it's about, you know, your aging parent and where are they going to spend the last parts of their lives? Those are hard decisions to make. And sometimes they get heated and difficult. So maybe it's about bringing a mediator in then. Hmm. Anita, is there anything that uh, you really want to talk about before we let you go here? Yeah, sure. I think the pandemic has created a really interesting environment for mediators. And and it has created a, a really interesting environment for conflict to grow and develop. And, and that became um, especially evident when we were online and we became faces on a screen or yeah. names behind an email. We are no longer sharing space. We're no longer having to hear each other chew. Mm. And, and we were in that space. There was a lot of dehumanization that was going on. Um, and, and I've heard about it in, in school settings where kids were saying things about each other that they would have never said if they were in the same space, if they were sharing a classroom, I know it's gone on in the workplace. And so one of the things that I think is maybe not only incumbent on mediators, but on all of us is the great rehumanization project. It's how do we rehumanize ourselves to each other? How do we see each other as another person just struggling with life 
and sorting out how to navigate yeah. this complex life that we're in as another human being. Do you see there going to be a, like a high need for conflict resolution in the next few years? I know there's yeah. going like to back be in the a office high again, need. Everyone's heading back together, right? Yeah. 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 And you know what? The whole back to office debate is one in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Do I have to be in person? Or can yeah. I just work from this mm. comfortable office at home in my pajamas? Yeah. 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 I think there's going to be a lot of that work ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Well, Anita, thank you again so much. We mm-hmm. are, are going to close with our confession segment. Yeah. You're welcome to join us. Yeah. If you'd like. Yeah. I think it would be cathartic. Yeah. That's the idea. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here comes some catharsis. confessing things to each other and just saying it out loud is such a good practice that we're we've gotten used to i think a harmonious practice right absolutely so we're gonna go for it um i recognized two times something about myself this week i hate it when people cut in front of lines and it doesn't have to be in front of me it could be like i could be behind them and they cut in front of or ahead of them and they cut in front of somebody else it feels really unjust to me and i get worked up like really fast and it happened both on the road and in a line for movies this week. And I didn't do anything about it. I avoided conflict, but I really got steamed. Yeah. So it's probably a little thing that I should just let go, but it riles me up. Are you the like, oldest sibling? Yep. Yeah. I think, that's an, I think it's an oldest yeah. sibling thing. I, I don't know. That's my theory. Like, I'm the same way. Like, I just yeah. can't stand that. Just don't yeah, bud. Wait your order. turn. Yeah. I get frustrated, too. And I, I, I'm not someone to say something to the person but i want them to know that i'm un- unhappy with them <laughs> so like somehow. a glare or yeah a, kind of a, yeah like a yeah. Oh, like a water slide or something and like some teenage boys cutting in line like i just won't really want to say something to yeah. them but i just well i don't well I guys i'll one up you because at the west edmonton mall water park i've oh yeah i made a little bit of a scene <laughs> Because <laughs> those lines are long. They're long. Yeah. Right? And so my little boy and I are, are waiting and these two guys came up and I said, guys, like the, this is the lineup. So, oh, no, we're just, I said, no, no, this is the... And so I made a bit of a scene and he got upset with me and Harvey asked me why after, like, why did you talk to him? Do you even know him? And I said, no, I, <laughs> I didn't know him. I know him no, now. but I'm standing up for everyone. But in the end, he did go to the back of the line. Oh, nice. So, victory. Yeah. Moral of the story. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Anita, do you have a confession? I do have a confession. Um, my confession is this. I say the F word Ooh. surprisingly a lot for a person of my age. <laughs> and, and maybe that seems like a silly confession, but it's, it's something that catches people off guard. And, and I don't often remember. And you like in regular conversation or like yeah, only by but, yourself? But or? I am smart enough not to use it when I'm working with faith groups. So yeah. I do have mm-hmm. some filters, mm-hmm. but generally I really like the word. I think it's powerful. And so I use it probably more than most women my age. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fun word. It really is. Yeah. It does hold power too. Yeah. 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 Nice confession. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of editing through in this episode. Yeah. I don't know if you guys yeah. can tell. You'll notice the but. beeps and the awkward pauses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my confession is... Um, we have these connections groups at our school where we have a small group of kids. We, get, we just see how they're doing and it's more like a check-in kind of thing. My confession is, is on our last group. I didn't really want to talk about school. So I had them uh, do a bunch of online searches for old teachers and friends of mine from my back in my high school days. So people I hadn't seen for 20 years. 
that I couldn't track down. I said, you guys can see, you're better with the computers than me. So you track down these people. So I had students. That's so smart. Thank you. I had students (laughs) basically just investigate for me and they found things I couldn't find. My favorite favorite teacher growing up uh, was named Mr. Ford. They found out what he's doing these days. I couldn't find out myself. Um, One of my students actually called my high school in Northern BC to ask about a teacher if he was there anymore. Whoa. Update, he left 18 years ago. So, <laughs> but uh, she found it out. You just created a whole bunch of investigators. Yeah. Yeah. It was really yeah. fun. I mean, we're all, they're all singing out their phones the whole time, which I was a little guilty over. But Now you know they're all creeping you as well, right? Well, I know. I told them, whatever you find about me is not true. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was my confession. I felt, it, midway through, I thought, I maybe shouldn't have done this. Like, this feels kind of weird. Like, I was putting names on the board, you know, <laughs> find this person. And anyway, <laughs> it was actually pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Learned a lot. So, I've... Uh, I've wanted to have a mustache for a while and like not in a, an ironic way or like a humorous way. Like I actually think it is a good look and I think I could pull it off pretty well. Um, I agree, Ty. But other um, people in my life don't think I should have a mustache. <laughs> and, nice. and I've, uh, as a harmonizer, I've kind of allowed that to be the, just kind of the way. Um, but my confession is that I'm, I'm going to have to actually stop doing this now once I confess to it. But when I shave, I shave my whole face to a certain level, except my mustache to a higher level. So my mustache part of my face is a little longer and I keep every time I shave. Now I gradually increase the difference between the two lengths and that my goal is that in a few cycles i'll have a full-on mustache like the frog in the pot with the heat (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, it's working so and so far no one has said anything undetected so far yeah it's just like a little subtle mustache we didn't notice until you mentioned it now it's pretty clear it's glaringly obvious (laughs) listeners (laughs) i noticed it immediately oh Oh, really okay Okay. so maybe it's a guy so maybe um maybe it has been noticed and just mm. it's okay it's also and a way to get someone whoever this person is used to it slowly over time yeah. yeah i just picture you like locking the door in the bathroom before you do this right like this secret moment where it's like i'll be out in a little bit like you just pull out all the shaving tools and <laughs> switching guards quietly i have a little chart where it's like Nothing level going one on in level here. two level three yeah. <laughs> well i respect the commitment tyler that's great yeah yeah, yeah. I actually, I'm going to shave this into a mustache for Monday, just so you know. So if you want to oh, join yeah. me on that path, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll keep going with my little slow, <laughs> slow, the long game. Yeah. yeah. Good call. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier, some people told me they love me this week, and it was really heartwarming to hear from listeners. Chris, is there a way that we can hear from listeners more often? Yeah, I think you should tell us you love us more, and you could do that <laughs> by sending us an email, uh, harmoniousgentleman at gmail.com, or interacting with us in all kinds of ways right Tyler yeah like on Instagram I think you can even like click or tap on a little heart to yeah, show that you that would show love love us so yeah. Anita do you have social media attached to your work that you use as advertising purposes or are you mm. pretty no beyond LinkedIn no okay I, mm. I don't and and that's a tricky one hey when you want to manage confidentiality and professionalism yeah. and boundaries and stuff like that but it's it's a little bit different yeah, you don't take but Instagram photos like with shaking hands with people after you mediate. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Look it's a big me sign. Hanging Another out with this successful guy. mediation. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Okay. 
Well, we really, really appreciate you joining yeah. us here, Blind Man. Yeah, really guys, that was fun, right? It was amazing. It really was. Really, yeah. was great. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. We have a lot yeah. to talk about now in terms of the gear on this podcast and how much work I do. It's going to be a long <laughs> ride home. <Anyway. laughs> Alrighty. Well, we suck at endings. Tyler, send us off. Uh, we're the harmonious <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> And that is the end of the episode. Sweet. All right. Good job, you guys. Harmonious gentlemen.